this is the absolute most urgent scenario that someone can be in. I really liked being the person in that situation who can not only, you know, have the knowledge to deal with it, but to be able to apply it and hopefully, you know, make them better. My name is Brandon Pang. I am a pulmonary and critical care fellow. And I'm Lakshman Swami. I'm an intensivist, critical care doctor, and board game designer. Welcome to Subject Matter Tabletop. My name is Jordan Tynes. Uh, I'm Steve Gotza. We're sitting, we're sitting here in the Brookline Village Public Library in... Brookline Village, Massachusetts. Yep. Is that the proper nomenclature for this locale? Yes. A wonderful um, public library has a um, actually quite striking and broad uh, board game collection. So excited to see library. that. We walked yeah. in. We're, they, they gave us this meeting room to use for the entire afternoon. We have it by ourselves. It's a special circumstance. And walked in to check it out last week and they have this amazing pile of board mm-hmm. games. I mean, it's actually very well organized. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a pile. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they are they're in stacks. Yeah, they stacked. Uh, they have a copy of Android Netrunner, which is um, quite valuable. Yeah. <laughs> we were like, I wonder if they know how much these cards are worth. Uh, it's out of print. A uh, very popular yeah. card game. Uh, but yeah, we're here today because we are here to play Critical Care. And we are joined, which is a board, I should say, a board game about uh, practicing medicine in the ICU. Yes. Uh, and we're here joined by the game's designer, Lakshman Swami. Hi, everyone. I'm yeah, yeah. so excited to be here. Uh, we're also joined by Brandon Pang, who is a doctor. He works in the ICU. Is that the uh, easiest way to I describe think, I think that's, pro- that's probably right, yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah, but, so uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself just briefly. Yeah, hey, everyone. My name is Brandon. I'm a second-year pulmonary and critical care fellow at Boston Medical Center. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, yeah, Brandon. Thank you so much. Um, th- we're also, there's a couple other, I don't know, caveats we have sure. here today. Um, this is a strange episode in the sense that we have, I should say it's not, it is strange, but it's also special because yes. we have the person who designed the game here with us. We usually mm-hmm. don't do that this way. Yeah, this is the first. Um, so we'll incorporate some designer deep dive type things as we go along. Uh, we're also sitting in front of a prototype. I don't know, think so, that's something to be mindful of as we go sure. along. The yeah. game is in production now? Yes, that's right. We are sending all of the final materials over to uh, to Panda Games in you know a couple extra files every day. Uh, it'll all be sent over shortly, and then they'll start start printing, which is very exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. For those uh, subject matter tabletop long-term listeners, you will know some of this because we spoke with uh, Amari, mm-hmm. as in Amari Akil of Colorway Games Lab, who publishes this game. Critical Care, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which was a wonderful conversation, mm-hmm. and he's just uh, seems like a real special collaborator, and um, I'd only imagine makes the process easier and more pleasant. Than- oh, I, I can't exaggerate how um, how highly I think of Omari, how how much of a, a real wizard he is with so many different things, how much insight he has, and I mean, just just a, a brilliant, wonderful person. Yeah, we I think in our short time with him, uh, would could couldn't describe it any other way as well so mm-hmm. uh so we're playing a prototype it's going to be I th- it's still fun we read the rule book even a prototype version of that and uh it seems like a really compelling experience yeah. we got the 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 taste of it at gen con this mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. um 
but we we didn't want to play it just with the de- designer as much fun as I'm sure that would be. Uh, <laughs> but so we brought in Brandon, who um, why don't you tell us just a little uh, high level explanation of what a fellow in this program that you're, you're currently in does? Yeah, sure. So um, broadly speaking, a fellow is someone who's completed their initial residency training, and so um, it's someone who basically having already achieved uh, what is considered like enough training to be uh, functionally independent in a certain specialty in my case which is internal medicine uh, then decides to pursue further training to become a specialist and in my case that is the the fields of both pulmonary and critical care medicine yeah so we did a little snooping and just you know just searched your name basically uh, and, <laughs> yeah, and found, you. found the the word uh, pulmonary specialty specialty uh, you know associated with it and I'm guessing you've had a couple of uh, busy years uh, a little, I, I guess you could say that. I actually was not yet a fellow uh, during the initial uh, phase of the pandemic. In 2020, I was actually still a, re- a resident in internal medicine uh, back mm-hmm. in uh, back in Michigan, actually. But uh, yes, uh, it's been it's been pretty busy. Uh, thankfully, over the last two years, things have like you know uh, lightened up somewhat. Yeah. Can you maybe just say a little bit about those two specialty areas for listeners who might not know exactly what that means? So, can you talk a little bit about pulmonary medicine and critical care medicine? Like, what distinguishes these two areas as? as specific niches within the wider mm-hmm. umbrella of, um, of medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. So uh, I think critical care medicine is probably a little easier to explain and understand first. It's just, um, it uh, really is just, it's the ICU. And so um, in a, in a general sense, the medical ICU is where people from all spectrums of, uh, you know, internal medicine, whether they have cardiac problems, renal problems, or kidney problems, sorry, like liver problems, lung problems also, they will go to a particular ward of the hospital uh, known as the intensive care unit where, um, you know, we are capable of doing uh, certain interventions like, you know, mechanical ventilation, putting, i.e. putting people on a ventilator. Um, where we can give them specific medications, which can really only safely be done in certain situations, uh, and where we can also have um, improved nursing ratios, meaning like you know each nurse generally only has one to two patients as opposed to you know the mm. maybe four to four to six patients mm-hmm. that they might have had in a general ward, and so the nurse is able to pay more specific attention to that patient, and they can actually um, you know intervene more, they can check vitals more often, they can give medications more often. It's it's what it sounds like, you know, the intensive care unit where people can get very specialized care in a, in a very rapid uh, response sort of setting. Uh, that encompasses like, you know, very many different specialties of internal medicine, whereas pulmonary medicine spe- uh, specifically, it's, you know, it, it's to do with the lungs. So um, familiar things I think to most people would be uh, things like asthma, COPD, pneumonia, these are all uh, within our purview. Um, pulmonary specialists will also um, engage in the study and treatment of uh, situ- uh conditions like, you know, interstitial lung disease, which is a huge umbrella term, but um, things like cystic fibrosis, things like lung cancer, and, um, uh, you know, even more esoteric things, eosinophilic pneumonia, um, you know, Hammond-Rich syndrome, these very, like, you know, uh, very, very, like, odd, rare conditions Mm. of the lung, which, um, you know, we typically are considered experts in. Yeah. So I have some follow-up questions, and I think both of you can address these, because Lakshman, you work in the ICU as well, right? So I think people are most familiar with the type of hospital experience that are, is planned, right? You go and you get mm. an operation done, yeah. you schedule it, you know, you have your doctor, you have your, every, everything's going according to plan, usually, hopefully. Um, or emergencies, like uh, showing up at the ER right. at three o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, 
what is the relationship between the ICU and these other more familiar places? Are you locked in there? Sure, sure. So I think he's by now, I think, considered an actual expert. So no, no, no. I think I mean. So first of all, I should say that I trained in the same program. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we have. I, I can kind of uh, imagine all these things that that, is, that you're talking about. Um, so I think what makes it different is that first of all, in the in the in the especially thinking of it from critical care, it's sometimes a um, a little, you know, kind of more of a dark and sad place, right? Because we see the things that get really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of an inevitable part of what it means to be uh, in the intensive care unit. So that can be things that are, that are sometimes um, somewhat expected. You know, someone comes to the emergency room, maybe they're in the hospital already, mm-hmm. and then things get, are getting worse and getting worse, and then they just need more care, they come to us. Other times, it's um, the surgery or the planned procedure, something goes wrong with it. And they either just need more of a close eye on them or they really got a lot sicker. Mm-hmm. Something happened. Mm-hmm. And, and different intensive care units across the country and world are, are a little, always a little different. There's different flavors. In, in really big hospitals, they're all really distinct, whether it's a, a medical unit or a surgical unit, for example, oh. a heart unit, um, organ-specific kind of stuff. Um, and then in some places, like one of the ICUs I work now, it's all, it's all combined. So I'm an ICU for all of those patients. I, I take care of surgical patients. I take care of cardiac patients or whatever. So um, it's people come to the ICU through through different ways. Sometimes it's a very a very short course before that. They show up in the emergency room. They come straight to us almost right away. Um, other times they're in the hospital for a while. Other times it's because of a procedure. Um, but uniformly, the thing that we can say is that people who are in the ICU are there because their life is truly in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is some you know, there's a whole spectrum of that too. But um, that is that is sort of the intensity in the in the intensive care unit, but tends to not be terminal. So there's severe intervention rather than like hospice or something like that. Actually, right? it could be all or of that. It could be so, all of it. you know, a lot of times we're making those transitions. We're helping families make those transitions to going to hospice mm. in, in more acute settings where this, the illness is okay. coming on quickly. Other times those things, you know, uh, it's, it's much better for patients and families when that happens without mm-hmm. us involved. Mm-hmm. Um, has that, has that been your experience, too? I would say so, yeah. And I think that regarding the last point, though, something like hospice, I, I, I think I would agree with what Lakshman says also. It, it probably is better for the most part that people have come to that conclusion of, like, you know, going yeah. towards a hospice approach without our uh, without our intervention, specifically because sometimes by the time, it, you know, it comes to us to help people mm-hmm. make that decision, there have been things that have already happened yeah. or have been done to patients which may or may not have been you know necessarily beneficial or may have you oh, interesting someone you know yeah i ask because uh you know when i was listening to you both talk about it um all these different interlocking and overlaying branches of internal medicine it's sort of what i was trying to think about was like so are people who specialize in critical care are sort of specialist in severe intervention across a number of systems uh, depending if it's your your pulmonary system or or you said in some hospitals it depends there might be a, a wing of critical care just for uh, cardiology or something like that. Uh, but so I was trying to like think about the ways in which critical care exists as like a specific type of medical practice. Um, in that, that way, what I would say is the, maybe a better way of thinking about it is that people come to the ICU because they need life support ah. or they may need life support very soon. So, you know, 
life-sustaining care, which, if removed, people presumably will die mm-hmm. or have okay. really bad consequences. Okay. That's that is really the cornerstone of the specialty. But the truth is that when I think really excellent critical care goes goes quite quite far beyond that, and mm-hmm. it goes to really understanding what a patient really wants and needs, mm-hmm. what's really in their best interest, and listening to them, listening to their families. Because, like Brandon was saying, a lot of the time, you know, these things are done so quickly when someone's so sick. They're put the breathing tube is right. put in. They're on the right. ventilator. Right. They they have all these aggressive therapies and. Maybe they didn't really want any of that, but it happens so fast. So it's if if we were only doing that sort of life support care, we would just keep doing those things and keep escalating the care and doing more and more aggressive things. But we really try to have a, a very um, intentional focus and work closely when possible with palliative care doctors, mm-hmm. doctors who specialize mm-hmm. in hospice, um, and just try to be conscious of that. We we really feel, the whole unit feels the patient's suffering, you know. Is this something that is uni- you'd find, I mean, I know you just said that ICUs have different flavors. <clears throat> or maybe different approaches or philosophies mm-hmm. or something. Am I right about that or wrong? I mean, is this something that maybe <laughs> other ICUs would not have as sort of like a conversational approach to the the care they provide? Uh, I think that that may be hard to answer if only because um, I would say that it, it like many things within the field of medicine, things can be dependent on the um, the doctor, uh, you know, sort of mm-hmm. like in charge sure, of the situation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what I can say though is like I've, I've been to uh, three different institutions, like in as part of like my medical training pathway, both um, you know USC, LA County Hospital, University of Michigan uh, Hospital System, and then now here. And I think for the most part, like what my experience has been at all these places is that uh, in general, actually, people do tend to have this approach towards um, critical care medicine, especially because I think like the more time you spend with it, the more I think you realize uh, it, whether whether or not you came in feeling that way that like actually a lot of times things can go horribly wrong and like, maybe maybe not necessarily always the best thing. And I think, um, you know, broadly speaking, the people who go into medicine, especially uh, critical care medicine or just medicine in general are, you know, you come in with good intentions, you want to help people and you realize, you know, through your time in the ICU that actually you can do a lot of oh, horrible things to people that may mm, or may not yeah. like benefit them. And I think we all come mm. to our own conclusions pr- pretty much independently that like, you know, Brian, like, you know, do what's best for them rather than like, you know, what we always think, you know, maybe dictated by this specific set of vitals or labs or whatever. I, I mean, there's also been a change over time. Mm. So it's a really, uh, it's an astute point that it's true that I think not every every intensivist, every ICU has that totally embraced that culture, but there's been a dramatic shift over time. And and as intensivists, we actually have the reputation of not being like this because mm. of, of many, you know, the, the start of intensive care units and all this was us keeping people alive and, mm-hmm. and life was the goal. And so now that has broadened, but I think you can see in... in uh, in me as a younger attending, a younger person who's finished all of their training, yeah. and Brandon who's, who's in near the end of his training, you can see how much we embrace this. But sure. it, it is also true that um, in the past it wasn't quite like that. I think. Yeah, I would say like there, I think a really good example of like just the shift even over the last couple of decades. Well, ca- critical care itself is a discipline that's only about like seventy years old. I think from oh, the invention okay. of the mechanical ventilator and. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at the book uh, House of God, actually written by Samuel Shem, which takes place actually at uh, Beth Israel, or a, a, a um, <laughs> satirical version of uh, Beth Israel okay. Hospital, I should say, okay. um, is uh, it, it, there's there's a part where the main character, um, uh, Dr. Bash, is he, he's he's in the um, medical ICU, and it's actually very much like this sort of um, it, it's it's it plays it plays to this old it portrays this older stereotype of what uh, intensive mm-hmm. care used to be. The main char- the protagonist clearly realizes that like this one particular patient is dying but he describes this mad rush of like all these different 
nurses, doctors, specialists, like, you know, when this patient has a cardiac arrest to like, you know, and he describes this very brutal scene of like, you know, people like pounding on his chest, throwing lines mm. to him, like, you know, doing all these things, which mm-hmm. he, he knows and everybody knows, in fact, is completely futile. But they do it anyway, because, and there's like no, not even a thought that you know that that they shouldn't be doing this. And this was mm. only about 50 years ago when the book was written in the wow, 1970s. Yeah. And so it's like I, since then, I would say like I think people um, nowadays uh, within both internal medicine and critical care medicine would you know if we were to read that uh, you know scene now we'd be kind of horrified by that because it's sure. like it's representative of you know potentially what was happening all the time back then. Mm. That's, That's really interesting a, context. Most of my experience, I've been fortunate enough to have fairly healthy. Uh, functions throughout my entire life uh, with the exception of, I did have a pulmonary embolism once oh, oh, damn. A, a medical anomaly yeah. I've been yeah, studied yeah. at, uh, <laughs> at um, I think Harvard Medical School oh, wow. in yeah. my case but um, it, was, it was wild yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I did have you know um, my, most of my experience is just maintenance and so I'm guessing all doctors to some extent have this train of thought like you know, what are the pros and cons of me doing anything right now? Right. In, in your case, it's like, you know, in the ICU, it, that, that decision-making is so profound, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always walking this line of like every decision I make with, I mean, extreme intervention, like you're talking about has the, the, uh, the opportunity to go completely one way or the other. (laughs) And, um, Mm -hmm. Just sounds. I mean, I guess I'm. I'm thinking how intense that sounds for one. Yes. And the question I guess I have as a follow up to that is, how does one find themselves interested in this particular area yeah. of medical care? So when you were both in medical school, thinking about which area you wanted to specialize, what drew you towards um, being? How did you put it earlier? An intent, an intensive, intensivist. Yeah. yeah. You, you go first. Throughout my entire educational pathway, there has been this uh, very uh, wide. Uh, range of interests. When I was uh, close to graduating medical school, um, so at the end of my third year of uh, of four of four years of medical school, I still really hadn't decided that well what I was going to do uh, in terms of residency. I was deciding between, if you can believe it, Lakshman, uh, plastic surgery, uh, OBGYN, and internal medicine. Oh my god! <laughs> so he's cringing over there because these are these are about as three different uh, like you can these, yeah. these you cannot be more different in terms of like you know sure. uh, the fields like these are incredibly broad ranging and um, ultimately I feel like the for, for the first hurdle was you know do I do internal medicine and and uh, why I decided to do that was because uh, I just envisioned this as like this is internists are generally broadly speaking, the people who are not surgeons, you know, so like the people who do the stuff that is not explicitly surgically related. And ultimately what I really enjoyed about that was just you, you, it's an incredibly broad field. You have to know a lot and there's mm-hmm. great potential for, uh, you know, a broad range of career paths, everything ranging from being, uh, you know, a primary care doctor to, to an intensivist. And so mm-hmm. that was the first step. I liked being the guy who, knows what's going on yeah. to me who makes the diagnosis and uh, you know who who puts forward the appropriate treatment plan mm-hmm. going forward uh in residency actually um i think it was about halfway through residency for internal medicine is uh, three years so about halfway through so like second year i was actually kind of having this this crisis because i really enjoyed my time in the in, uh, intensive care unit and which i can get into later but i also really 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 liked uh being a, a primary care doctor uh and so a lot of residents mm, actually will have um uh, their own continuity clinic during the three years of residency i really enjoyed getting to know my patients mm. like having you know just these sort of like longitudinal relationships built with yeah. them 
Um, my fondest memory of residency actually is still um, one of my patients making an urgent visit with me, like very urgent, like, you know, to, um, and then when I got there, so she could tell me that she was uh, pregnant and then it was, it was <laughs> she was, it was actually, the, I was the first one she had told and I was, oh like, this God, is, like, I was nice. like, this is insane to me. So, um, yeah. but I, I feel like the decision I came to though and why I chose pulmonary and critical care medicine is because I think that uh, perhaps it goes back to this idea of like someone who knows things, but like sort of what Lakshman is, was mentioning earlier is like, you know, when, when it comes down to it, when, uh, you know, lives are on the line and then it, it is upon you to, to get it right, you know? And I really felt that, you know, I really enjoyed the nitty gritty of medicine. I really enjoy phys understanding physiology. I really like having a broad, broad set of knowledge, uh, you know, about a whole bunch of different diseases. And I liked the application of that. And <laughs> in the ICU, there is the potential to not only connect with people in a way that's entirely meaningful, like, you know, both patients and family members to like, you know, get a sense of like mm -hmm. what, you know, what we can do to help them best. This is the absolute most urgent scenario that someone can be in. I really liked being the person in that situation who could not only, you know, have the knowledge to deal with it, but to be able to apply it and hopefully, you know, make them better. You do point out something really, uh, like a really good point, though, which is that a lot of times, in fact, you know, this can be a very sad and very, um, uh, you know, very depressing sort of field. But even in that, I feel there is some value in my role in that because I can be with people in these, like, you know, very trying times and, like, you know, potentially make this sort of situation better for them. Maybe not, like, maybe not better. I should say, like, uh, more not even more, but I, I struggle to find the right word. I, sure. I, I like, I think that like being with people in these like very intense situations can be comforting to them. And I think I like that. Yeah. I, I would yeah. go further and say, I think you, you said it all very, very well. It's, you can be with people with families, not mm -hmm. just the patient too, yeah. right? Yeah. In the time of some of the, the most vulnerable, when they are going through potentially the worst thing that's ever happened in yeah. their life. And you can be a huge source of support and you have incredible an incredible ability to impact what that experience will be like for them yeah. for better and worse. Mm -hmm. So I, I think for me, the reasons that to, to sort of build on that, that critical care in particular is such a draw for me is that you, you get all these things, you get the ability of being the expert who I would, again, like extrapolating what you said, it's not just that, you know, all these things you can like help people. It's that you can help your colleagues in a mm. huge way. Like when, mm. when the, when that patient who's in the hospital, in the emergency room or in the hospital floor is getting so much sicker, they're calling you not because they just need to move the patient somewhere. They're calling you because they need help. Right. And to be able to help someone like that is, is a really, I think, powerful thing. Yeah, I'm sure you're, you're there for your colleagues like that. And then on, on the flip side of that, although we're specialists, we're generalists, right? Mm -hmm. we, we work with all different parts of the body, all different organs, all, like any patient who comes to us, right? So we get to balance the being a specialist, being a consultant, being mm -hmm. there to help mm -hmm. people with also being the one who calls people to help us and like taking yeah. care of the whole, the whole patient. Is this a real fast-paced environment? I mean, because I'm, I'm, I, think I, I think many people probably, not just me, conflate the ER experience oh, yeah. with the mm. ICU experience, yeah. right? Because there is like a pretty clear connection between those two spaces. It, that I, I'm guessing when pe somebody's really sick, there's some fast decision making, right? You don't have the luxury of being like, well, you know, we should probably remove that like three months from now, right? There's yeah. there's maybe some more quick decision making there's going on. A lot on less and wait and see. There's, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting because it's both, and uh -huh. I think that's what makes the critical care unit, the intensive care unit, so different than 
than any other part of the hospital. The emergency department delivers critical care. Critical care happens there. Right. They are resuscitating people. They're they're you know reviving people whose hearts have stopped. They're putting right. breathing tubes in. They're doing invasive procedures. Right. They're doing it all in that first moment when we don't know what's going on. We just need to like get this person resuscitated. And then they come to us, and we manage both things. But the difference is where the emergency room, I mean, what I respect about everyone who works there so much is that they are able to pr- provide this incredible care in an environment of total chaos. Mm. Anything can come through the door. Yeah. Anything can happen. They're, they're exposed intentionally to the whole world, right? Yeah, right. I mean, literally from when we were, you'll see a card in the game about this active shooter. Right like, happens in the emergency room, right? That, that's where it's going to happen most mm-hmm. of the time, right? So mm-hmm. terrible things, amazing things, all of that, they're like there, they're exposed. The ICU is all about control. Mm. We, we want, like the doors are often locked to the outside and we control everything from the environment, the temperature. Mm. We control like the patient's physiology as tightly as we can because what we hate is chaos. Mm. We hate surprises because those are always bad in the ICU. It always means there's a new complication. Something's getting worse. I, I think I would ag- definitely agree with that. And if it provides any, uh, I guess if it helps you understand, I, I actually am like not a fan of emergency medicine. I'm not like necessarily the, not necessarily yeah, the people sure. who work there. I just do not. I, I uh, as internal medicine residents were required to do rotations in the ER. That was like probably like my least favorite part of residency. Mm-hmm. I just did not, did not enjoy that at all. It's like Lakshman says, it's like, it, it is barely, barely contained a uh, ball of chaos down there. Yeah, and it wow. is just uh, not, not a huge fan. Uh, uh, I think that's a very wonderful way of, I mean, thank you for describing it that way. The sort of to highlight what it's not, but you know, with yeah. a very clear example that more people will probably understand. Um, and in that sense, I'm, I, you know, we've read the rule book for this yeah. game and I think that there's going to be some, uh, I already understand it a little bit better. Just knowing that yes. piece about what, about what, what Lakshman said about control really made me think, okay, this is why we have this game in front of us because it's a lot of, I could see how that could be abstracted mechanically because it's a closed system or it's attempting to create a closed system. Right. So maybe, maybe that's a good transition to talk a little bit about the game's design sure, and the background. Yeah. So, um, you're an intensivist, you've worked in critical care, you have designed this board game that we're about to play called Critical Care about the goings-on in those kinds of units. Can you tell us just a little bit about like, where this design came from, what inspired you to make it, uh, what you hope to accomplish with it as a game? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's, um, I, I'll try to tell this succinctly. Yeah. <laughs> it's been such a, such a big story, such a big part sure. of my life now. And we can, if it goes well, we can have you back as like a d- full designer. <laughs> okay. yeah, follow up. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, Brandon, imagine your life a year from now, except that it's 2020. And that's when this was for me, right? Gotcha. So I was a third year fellow, mm-hmm. um, just a year forward in your shoes. And I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, you know, I, I was just finishing all of my, my sort of subspecialty medical training and everything. And then the pandemic hit and it hit really hard in Boston and it hit hardest in our hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, you know, I, I, it was a, such a bad time. It was such a bad time. And in this, in the, in the very early days and weeks of that time, what happened, this is going to sound so naive and ridiculous to say, but I, and I think many of my colleagues in critical care felt like this, this, was happening and we were the only ones 
mm. who could end this pandemic. We were the only ones that could like <laughs> like right. save the world. Yeah. You know, it was, it was ridiculous because all the patients were coming to the ICU, yeah. right? Like so, the focus of the world for the first time ever was suddenly like, what is this place called the ICU? Yeah. And I was living and breathing COVID stuff all the time, literally in the hospital. Sure. But, um, you know, you're in the hospital for these shifts and it's so emotionally intense, so technically intense in the care you're providing. All of that is like happening. And then it ends and you go home and you we don't stop. Right. Mm -hmm. we're, we're reading what happened in China, what happened in Italy, what's, mm -hmm. what are they doing in Washington? All the social media is like on fire with with uh, intensivists arguing with each other, like like pillars of uh, medicine uh -huh, who uh -huh. are like like you know super senior are just like throwing insults at each other. It was a wow. wild, like a wild time, and all we're doing is reading articles, listening to podcasts, reading blogs, like nonstop mm -hmm. COVID, 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 and it reached the point where all of the normal mechanisms that I use to cope with life as well or not well as I did that were coming apart at the hinges, mm. like coming apart at the seams. I was, I was really falling apart. Mm. Um, I remember uh, actually just down the street at the, at the reservoir over here, I was running. I couldn't stop. I had my, my, like my kid in the stroller and I was running and running and running. And this is March. Right. And I, I ran 13 some miles and there were just like tears streaming down my face. And I didn't even know why mm. I honestly like just didn't know yeah. what was happening. So like a little after that, my wife kind of said, this isn't working. You're not going to, you cannot understand all of the things that, that this is. You cannot like know all the things and be the expert, uh, like, you know, in that, in that way of, of being all knowing about COVID and you can't fix this on your own. Um, so you need to stop doing this all the time. It's bad for you and it's not good for our family mm. either. And that's when I sort of like came a little bit back to myself. And I don't know why the next thing I did was take out little pieces of paper and start <laughs> writing things on it. But a big part of it was that I was I, I realized that I couldn't just do what a lot of other people kind of did and 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 es escape into other worlds. Right. I was doing that already. I was already listening to audiobooks and all this stuff and it wasn't enough. Mm. Um, and I realized I needed to sort of like process this. And what I needed to process was that the ICU had become deeply and corrupted by the virus right mm. the where it used i remember just months before a patient dying in our icu so with like the room was packed like 15 family members mm. all singing in mm. you know and like in do you hear different languages mm -hmm. in every room in our hospital people are they were mourning but they were mourning a life mm -hmm. and they were alive and mm -hmm. like you could there was the unit was a place where although bad things happened and tragic things happened also, you could see and feel you were so deeply in touch with the pulse of like being human. Yeah. And that was gone, right? Mm. It was gone. The hallways were empty. No visitors allowed. Most of the, our colleagues didn't come in and they did virtual consults. We mm. were so alone, so alone. We were scared of each other, scared of giving the virus to each other, getting it from each other. This is like before we knew anything, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, it was like that darkness of like just seeing all these patients on ventilators who so many of them were just dying slowly or quickly. And I needed to process that. And the way I did that was to, it was like a journal of what was the ICU like before this? Mm. What is the thing that I honestly just like missed? I just missed that world um, and, and hated seeing it corrupted in this way. Mm. And that was like the seed of this. And once I started it, I poured countless hours. In. I couldn't stop almost, right? Sure. Um, you found the outlet. I found the outlet. Uh, that is 
perhaps the most beautiful explanation of uh, why I made a board game I've ever heard. <laughs> for um, sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I mean, th- there's there's something to that. And I mean, it's just, it, you can already kind of feel it on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I could certainly feel it at your booth at Gen Con. Yeah. Um, and uh, when we were reading it, the rule book this morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was really, uh, it's really clearly a special game and I haven't even played it yet. So hearing that there's this sort of focus on... Um, a return to a normal representation of the ICU. I mean, I, clearly there's never any sort of like, n- n- there, we shouldn't expect the, a day right. in the life of the ICU to be ever normal, so quote unquote, right? right? But Maybe typical. Typical, typical. day in the, the ICU, word, yeah. right? Um, what would you expect from this game? What are your expectations here? What are you hoping for there to be? What are you maybe a little nervous about mm. there not being perhaps? One of my fears is, so there's a, there's a quote by one of my attendings from back in residency who told me that sometimes a day in the unit feels like a week. And so, <laughs> like, oh no. Uh, so like, that, there you go. See, now my yeah. fear is conveyed. So, like, yeah. I am, I am, uh, I, that, it makes me nervous to play that sort of game because I feel like, um, one way or another, we all have a, a particular kind of baggage about mm-hmm. about the ICU. Uh, my my own mm-hmm. experience is definitely it's not going to be exactly the same as Lakshman's, but it's probably going to be similar in that like you know we all have uh, you know good memories and especially like you know very terrible memories of this sort of thing. And like I would be worried that you know playing this sort of game makes me just uh, relive all the bad things about the ICU. Um, the other thing that I would be afraid of, in a perhaps more general sense, is that um, I feel like a lot of times like people in other fields like say like lawyers or economists or um maybe even chefs or something like that like you know when they whenever they see their their um professions uh, displayed or portrayed in in media it's it's not always like you know the, what they feel to be accurate you know mm-hmm. and so um this this game is made by uh you know an icu doctor so i would say that you know that's probably less founded but i, I would say like i perhaps in um in Lakshman trying to have like a broader set of appeal uh you know to a wider audience like you know has he like uh, you know, fudged on some of the details or is he like, you know, made things a little bit like, mm. you know, uh, more palatable, that mm. sort of thing. I would say yeah. undoubtedly you have to fudge some of the yeah. details. Sure. Uh, that's part of what makes game. I mean, that's, I, I think in all of our podcasts so far, mm. that is one constant. Sure. Yeah. Right. You have to, you have to distill, mm. you have to, yeah. you know, create this aphorism for a, what is a, a much larger experience. And, mm. um, yeah, I, I, that's one of the questions I have going into it as well. Um, what are, you know, it is an intense place, mm-hmm. and can you make a fun game out of that? Um, yeah, you know, all these things are big, big concerns that I'm not nervous about as much as I'm kind of curious, excited to to try it. Yeah, yeah, things like patient death, you know, like within a game, how's that going to work? Um, how will that feel for players? Yeah, so I'm 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 very excited and curious to sort of get in there, and I'm also stressed. I mean, nobody asked me about my expectations, but I'm stressed. <laughs> I'm stressed out. I'm glad we have two doctors here at the, the table. Room, yeah. <laughs> I will be deferring uh, constantly. Um, no, I'll try to do my best and be a, a, a member of the cooperative team and, um, and pull my weight. I think Brandon is being really nice. I'll tell you the things that I would say that if I saw this game, I would be really worried about. Number one, I would worry that it would make light of serious things. It would, Mm. it would, it would dishonor the experience of suffering Mm. or of working in, in this environment. Number one, number two, I'd worry that it is, it is, um, trying to basically, uh, take advantage of like this COVID world and monetize Mm. that, uh, which we definitely saw in board games. Um, 
and then number three is that there would be outright errors in it that would lead people to um, to have in- inaccurate um, information about healthcare things. Mm. Uh, number four, that it would drive people away from seeking care if oh. they need it. Um, I think those are the big ones. Oh, and then number five, that it would be uh, it wouldn't it would. Um, not emphasize the importance of really important things about the ICU that are often underemphasized, like the importance of patients and families or the interprofessional team and like all the other people. If it's, mm-hmm. is this just a doctor nurse thing or just a doctor thing? Mm-hmm. Um, is it, is it going to kind of represent all the people that really come together mm-hmm. to provide like really the ICU's team based care? I think those are the things that I would be really, really worried about. And hopefully, um, hopefully we did a, a good job in, in addressing all of those like very intentionally yeah were those right, now, now it can be brutal now you, now yeah, you thank can, you for saying that, yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a list of things you're gonna those, look out like, for were those five things that you like were really thinking about the whole time you were making this game was that like a list you had in your mental wall or maybe on your physical wall you know it was, like, it was very avoid these pitfalls try and not it was yeah. it was just kind of like what would it be like if my colleagues played this game yeah what would it be like if one of the icu nurses that taught me how to practice medicine mm. in the icu was like an early intern yeah. picked this up like will this be will this kind of um lift people up and celebrate them um or will it be the opposite and yeah. will it be bad yeah, 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 yeah. uh have you play tested it with many uh physicians well, um, certainly with physicians, and then yeah. we have we have the, the the way that we address this was bringing um, other ICU doctors on as both you know Vince Vince is uh, a co-designer, right. yeah. co-designer, yeah. Yeah. Omar. Yeah. Um, actually, he was just like a backer, and then he just mm. kept getting doing getting more and more cool. excited and doing stuff, and then that's he, awesome. He like is on the box with us. Now. That's awesome. Um, and then we have other um, we have a couple of other intensivists and and critical care nurses who have kind of weighed in. We've had a bunch of a team of essentially content reviewers. Yeah. So there's people who've been involved at like various layers, but at the very least, there's people who've like really looked at every single dis- like the flavor text on every sure. card. Yeah, yeah. So then, just briefly, yeah, could you, would you want to say a little bit about um, your background with games and gaming of all kinds and types? Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that I'm probably more of a uh, not not tabletop gamer and mm. more of an electronic gamer. I would say that uh, aside from, uh, you know, traditional gaming, I mean, uh, console gaming, you know, I'm definitely much a huge PC gamer. Mm. I've, um, I, the last three computers that I've owned, I've built them all myself. And all right. So, wow. yeah. All right. Uh, and uh, I, I do, though, definitely love board games. I would say some of my um, fondest memories recently uh, among um, some of my friends who from, you know, elementary, middle school, high school, who I still keep in touch with is mm. us spending um, just hours uh screaming at each other occasionally <laughs> about stuff that's happened sure. the last time we played we, we we would occasionally have these marathon sessions of the uh, game of thrones oh uh, board game you that know where it's like rugged. each, each that... turn is like an hour and a half you know? <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like... we have house rules <clears throat> about that <laughs> so i think that's a good we did not take that precaution so um <laughs> those days those games can definitely get interesting and definitely yeah. last for multiple days where we would actually just we would take a picture of the whole game board yeah. to preserve mm-hmm. it and then you know pick it up the next day mm-hmm. um man talk about great. emotional yeah. investment <laughs> i know right Oof. oh definitely definitely and you're still yeah. friends yeah we oh, we 100 are that that is where friendships are made I would say. Yeah. even steve and i have Certainly gotten in a few little uh, yeah eh. scuffles around I, game of thrones uh, board game uh, well scuffles people are gonna think we're coming to to blows <laughs> no uh <laughs> i fully expect to be stabbed in the back every time i play yeah, game of thrones with you <laughs> i have no illusions about that uh as you should uh me yeah, yeah, be prepared that's what the game is about yeah. it's a rugged game um so that's your that's your big highly competitive diplomatic social area so. control board games maybe and that and like um 
uh, I think like if it also informs anything, like the Total War series of games on PC is actually like definitely where I've sunk like hundreds and hundreds of hours into. So like Rome Total War was like one of the first big games. Sure. So that's that's like a that's an automated board game. Yeah, exactly. Like geopolitical, like you know, almost like Risk plus mm-hmm. like you know whatever tabletop games like right. uh, for, mm-hmm. forty thousand or something like that. Um, cool. And uh, definitely recently though, Coup the the card oh, yeah. game. Oh, oh, exactly. oh yeah, yeah, I love Coup. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would say that for for better for because I because I play with my friends who uh, like I I have gotten really really good when I play it with people who are. Um, uh, in the medical field compared to like not in the medical field. Mm-hmm. I would say one difference that I think is kind of funny that I noticed is that like I feel like as a profession people like, you know, doctors, nurses, whatever, tend to be like wait honest to a fault, right? And so yeah. like, mm-hmm. so I've gotten really, really good at deceiving people in Ku now that I've played <laughs> practice playing against people who are not in medicine. And so I'm just like, uh, that's, I think yeah. you're not giving yourself enough credit no. for being a board gamer. It yeah. sounds like, it sounds like a board yeah, gamer to me. Yeah, I guess yeah, I'm yeah. just a, I, I'm just a gamer <laughs> in general. Then, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Once again, for agreeding to sit down and record, just and play re- with us, real quick. Yeah, I, I want to ask Lakshman: Did you play a lot of board games before you got into designing your own? So I have always loved board games, and when I um, when I look back, I was I was kind of like fiddling around with designing games as a kid, but in no serious way, and I had no idea. Like I was just just kind of interested, but I didn't design anything until this. Um, and then as for playing games, I have always really loved playing games, especially in medical school. We would play, um, we'd play so many games. We had, we actually had this really fun group that would play, um, in like we'd play a lot of games in person, Catan and all this stuff, but we also had, and this is, this was like probably, <laughs> this is probably da- is dangerous, but we played this, like this wor- version of web risk, Right, oh where, my goodness, and and where it's like email, right? But like right. there's a, and and oh my gosh, so we'll go like we would be in in like in our like lectures together, and then the whole time we'd be like throwing throwing like like what are you doing over there? Uh, <laughs> what's going on in Africa? And like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah. it was that was like it always had like this extra layer to like what was going on, and like kept us kind That's of afloat awesome. in that time. But um, I've always loved loved board games. I think one of the challenges for me was that when right when I started residency after after medical school is like back in 2013, I also had my, well my wife had two kids in in the span of those the first, first three years, and that like the time was just gone, and I wasn't sleeping and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then what's been really nice is that like a little bit after that, like right around before I was d- designing this and all that, is when I sort of was able to come back to it. And now I have like a weekly board game night with my friends up here, and we try we play all different kinds of games, and um, so it's it's nice to kind of like jump back in full. And, but and also I I I I don't think my my eight seven and three year olds will be listening to this, uh, but <laughs> they're getting they're getting someday yeah 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 they're getting really I'm getting a switch for Christmas so I can I played tons of video nice. games as a kid and so I'm excited yeah. to uh, awesome to get back into it. Cool. cool. Well, I think we should get into playing this one. Yeah, let's do it. In critical care, players take on the role of doctors working a week in the ICU of a major hospital. Together, they must monitor and treat a set of patients suffering from life-threatening conditions. Players must work as a team to keep their patients alive and can only win if by the end of the week they have managed to discharge all of the unit's patients successfully. Critical care is a challenging puzzle of risk assessment and cooperative decision-making. At the beginning of the game, each player takes charge of a patient suffering from a life-threatening condition and at least one accompanying medical complication. These conditions and complications generate different types of injuries to vital organ systems, for example lung, brain, or heart, that accumulate each round and if left unchecked will push the patient's crisis level towards code blue. 
As the game progresses, compounding medical complications are inevitable. Not only do patients potentially accumulate new complications each round as a result of their underlying condition, many of the most effective therapies at the player's disposal also come with the risk of generating even more complications for their patients. While balancing these risks, players must strategize together to match specific therapies to the priorities of everyone's patients. This creates a difficult and deliberative process whereby doctors must consider the unit as a whole while also keeping a close eye on the people placed directly under their care. Each round of critical care takes place over four phases, rounding, complications, therapy, and consulting. During the rounding phase, players simultaneously make their rounds in the unit by checking their patient's charts and adding injuries according to the types indicated. During the complications phase, players draw cards that may apply new complications and injuries to their patient's chart. During the therapy phase, one at a time, each doctor draws a hand of therapy cards and considers their options for treatment. Therapy cards can be used to alleviate recurring injuries caused by complications or to eliminate specific types of injuries from a patient's chart. However, each therapy card also has a time cost associated with it, and doctors may only perform so many hours of therapy on their shift constraining the range of actions that players can take each turn. This presents a further challenge for everyone on the unit, as the players must collaborate to optimize the therapies being performed not only by matching high-priority patient needs with the specific treatments available, but also while negotiating the work hour constraints of the doctors. The final phase of each round involves consultation. Throughout the game, doctors gain care XP, during the consulting phase, this XP can be exchanged to interface with surgeons and specialists or to invest in highly trained support staff such as the crisis nurse. These consultations provide powerful opportunities that may help players eliminate medical complications from a patient's chart, prevent future complications from occurring, or even cure patients entirely. At the end of the game, the players will only be able to claim victory if they have discharged all the patients in the unit, either by fully curing them of injury and eliminating all complications, or by fully advancing each patient's goals of care track, a metric on their chart representing the potential to explore options such as palliative care or hospice placement for patients whose conditions may be too serious to be resolved. By far, one of the most profound features in critical care is the goals of care track on each player's board. This track stands in for the tremendous amount of emotional support that surrounds each patient that finds themselves in the ICU. Over time, this track will exponentially increase, indicating the fatigue that is experienced by the patient, their loved ones, and even the medical team as the best course of action becomes less clear. As the crisis level of the patient rises, the goals of care track will advance more quickly. A player who notices that their patient is in a very critical situation might begin to advocate to other players for therapy options that advance the goals of care track even faster. This mechanic communicates a powerful tension between the desire to treat seriously ill patients aggressively while weighing the potential drawbacks of risking further complications. Pager alerts are another way that critical care infuses its gameplay with social commentary about the practice of intensive medicine. At the beginning of each therapy phase, the active player must draw a single card from the pager alert deck and then immediately resolve whatever effects appear on that card. These are usually negative and often pose some constraint on the actions players are able to take during the therapy phase or generate some other significant penalty. In substance, these cards represent social or institutional factors that lie entirely beyond the player's control. For example, institutionalized racism in healthcare, safety net hospital restrictions, 
or defensive medicine. Each time a pager alert is drawn, there is a sense of collective tension as the text is read aloud, outlining the latest, usually frustrating, limitation or setback for the medical team. I, I can take care of your lung stuff on my turn. Really? Yep. That's my whole turn here. Yep. Okay, so, sorry. <laughs> uh, you don't have to. I can, I can do it for someone else. Don't maybe worry. Maybe I should play other things. The but only I thing about central know. line is it requires, on the next turn, if you don't have a medication in play, you're going to remove the central line. Okay. Because and we always want to pull them when we're not using what do you guys think? I, I did. Those are rhetorical questions. I like how we have to like turn on bedside manner. It's like, yeah. like it's, it's not, it's not always it's there. Important. It's, just kind of it's like, important. Yeah. Uh, it's important. Some I, people have it. Some people yeah. don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I will, I will let you know that I think a lot of lung doctors will have a personal bias. They will. Like loving steroids. But why are there any complications? Yeah. There shouldn't be any. <laughs> why only three? Yeah. It should be all. Yeah, of them. It should be all. They should all be gone. <laughs> let's just go. Let's just leave that one there. Yeah. Yeah. You want this one in? Yeah. Let's put it there. There you go. <laughs> Lakshman, I think that's an interesting, uh, this is one of those situations where it's like true, like suspension of disbelief has to, has yeah. to like, hold strong a little bit. Because what like, we were trying to say yeah. was like, you like, would you give IV fluids to this patient? So this is the interesting moment is like, if you look at that card, do you want to do that card to your patient? She deserves a little like break. I mean, her lungs are not that's right, that's, Okay, all right. Well, well I, I like that actually. <laughs> He's so. like, I, you're not in the room and I am. That's yeah. true. Okay, yeah. all right, all right, all right. I all right, gave, right, gave, right, gave right. you, that's I gave you. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Okay, so. <laughs> All right, so so steroids, steroids, see, steroids save the save the day every day, guys. Every, every time <laughs> works fifty works fifty percent of the time every time. So we just finished playing critical care. Um, it was really interesting. Nobody, no patients coded. I'm proud of that because yep. there were a couple moments where I was like, oh no. Um, we managed to. Is it dispo? Dispo. Yeah. yeah, we dispoed one, yeah. Yeah. right? So one patient was fully cured, and we were managing our other caseload as best we possibly could. We were doing pretty good. Um, I think I was yeah. I was a little worried about Ziggy, my, my, my patient. The patient that I was in charge of yeah. is about to go into kind of a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, Malcolm, Malcolm's lung situation was looking a little pretty dire. Uh, we had some setbacks. Uh, the, we got some pretty ominous pages about medical errors and structural racism that really gave, threw in some other kinds of ad- adversity that had nothing to do with the medical problems that we were already confronting. Um, well, not nothing to do, but like, you know, separate from that made them more, uh, yeah. more difficult to, to, to work with. So the first question we have for both of you, if you were going to explain this game to, uh, to your colleagues in the unit and say, Hey, I played this game about the unit. Uh, how would you explain in language that makes sense to them the story of this game in brief? I think the short way of explaining it is that it, this attempts to convey the themes, the importance, and the um, like the, the, the overall decision-making that goes into what we do every day in a way that's like more, more understandable, if not necessarily like medically accurate. Mm. Like I think that mm. um, what, what, what I notice is things like... Um, like certain certain consultants or like you know like staff members they have they have you know beneficial effects on the gameplay which i would say doesn't necessarily align with like uh you know what actually happens in real life mm. but it's it's more that the it's more that like, you know we're trying to he's trying to achieve this 10,000 of view of like you know like this person is very critically important to the functioning of of you know 
the you know the critical care process even yeah. if like you know the way the game does it is like not necessarily like how it actually happens mm -hmm. i think that it is like it is a portrayal of of icu medicine if not necessarily like a medically accurate one it is a mm -hmm. thematically accurate one it's a crossover yeah you know so. it's mm -hmm. translation yeah. i feel that for sure yeah how about in your experience of the icu yeah. uh personally professionally all these things mm -hmm. is there something that you wish there that you that was here that is not here uh that's a really good question and uh that question assumes that i've that i've had <laughs> that i've thought about <laughs> but um i don't know i think that um i think that a lot of stuff is is in there i i do think that um it's very it's very complete in the sense of like it it has it i mean it has this sort of like even has like this sort of workflow mm -hmm. nature to like you mm -hmm. know like the turn system down and i don't think at this moment that there's nothing necessarily something that i would add if only because uh, I guess I don't want the game to become work exactly, and so it's sure. like, and so I think That's that important. I'll already admit that you know I had reservations about playing a game about work, and you know so, mm -hmm. but it, mm -hmm. but I think I think what this does though in a in a very complete way is that it can it can adequately portray you know the goings on of work without necessarily like making it become work and i think that that's that that's quite admirable in that in that like it's managed to do that and i don't think that i would necessarily add anything yeah. to it because i i would say when i was doing this i wasn't like thinking like man this is like i'm at I'm back, uh, this is like i'm at, i'm back at the hospital yeah. it's kind of like it very much felt like a game to me you know i mean i if i may say i think that's a pretty a pretty high compliment yeah, uh, for sure. from the you person struck the balance, who, who works in the field. Because I was thinking about that when you mentioned it earlier. What was the great saying from the attending? That you had? Oh, a I, day I feels did. like a week. Yeah, so exactly. you were worried we were playing a whole week. You're like, yeah. oh my God. Uh, what I did notice when we played this is that actually it seemed, and again, this is just my impression, it seemed like you were having quite a bit of fun. I, I like And you were yeah. crunching the decisions and you were yeah. actually able to do so in a way that for me, who, someone who doesn't have as much expertise, I couldn't see the sort of like underlying, you seem to like perceive potential cascades and through complications and then make educated decisions about, well, you know, uh, if we go that route, this will be our problem. If we go this route, we'll have a different problem. Which of these problems do we want? Because we're having problems either way. <laughs> and I was just sitting here being like, uh, what, uh, you know, like, what can I do? How many hours do I have? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. so I thought that was really cool uh, that you were able to kind of like participate in the game using the expertise that's baked into it that you also share, but in a way that allowed you to like take uh, pleasure in playing through the systems and not feel like you were actually in the unit doing your work. Do you think that this game is going to make you think about work differently as a result of playing it mm. for me personally it's it's not necessarily going to change the way uh, i think about things but I, what i do think is helpful at, and um good is that perhaps this will like you know help uh, you know non-medical people see what mm. uh what it is like for us because i think one of the things that um gives uh at least me personally i don't know about you lakshman but like uh me personally a lot of like angst about the whole situation is that i feel like sometimes uh you know people who are not in medicine actually don't understand don't have a good concept of like how much goes in to the process mm -hmm. of performing icu medicine what and what it's actually like for us i think um you know it can be this insane you know just black hole of information that you know you you know re your relative goes into the icu there's mm -hmm. all this stuff happening mm -hmm. and then like sometimes you know it can seem like you know maybe we're not doing anything at all but actually like you know maybe even behind the scenes there's all these you know considerations that we're making there's all this like data that we're trying to uh crunch and there's all these people that we're talking to all to just ensure that like you know quote unquote nothing happens you know mm -hmm. so it's like um we don't want things to happen right and so right. i think i think that for for me personally i think that like uh 
you know, no, I don't, I don't think this dramatically changes, like, you know, how I see things. What, what I hope, though, is that, like, you know, this may change how other people see the, the unit. One, one mm. place that I think perhaps maybe the uh, an opportunity for, maybe not you because you're already thinking about these kinds of things, but some of your colleagues, I mean, doctors are people. They all have come from different walks of life and different mm -hmm. perspectives, mm -hmm. different pol politics and social backgrounds and things like that. Um, the pa pager cards here have some some social commentary that perhaps not all doctors are thinking about right and and like this the i i drew both of these the racism and health i think i drew that one and the structural racism yeah and, that's right um they you know perhaps with the flavor text especially would get some of the folks who are not thinking as as deeply about these topics thinking a little more deeply about them i think so and actually uh that I'm actually that that that's, I'm I'm glad you brought that up just now actually because that's like one thing I'll say like to, like for your earlier question of like you know was there anything surprising mm. to me I think that what the, I think the pager cards are a beautiful example of like somehow Lakshman has found a way to give everybody the same level of like dis dislike disdain for the pager but in a way that like <laughs> that, that that but it's not it's in yeah. a way that like actually like, I think is like it's it, it makes a lot of sense like because I mean the pager alerts in this game serve to just throw wrenches into your mm -hmm. uh, into your gameplay mm -hmm. and, and like a lot of times it's like stuff that it is stuff that is like entirely out of your control it's like you yeah. know it presents to you systemic issues which will pose barriers to your care and also makes you grow to resent the pager <laughs> right mm -hmm. so like you know and, like you know more more or less in real life you know we, we grow to resent the pager alerts for a different reason but like i think that like this is a good way of like you know having having you develop this sort of like mutual disdain for <laughs> for, for that <laughs> sure, that's thing, great right? so steve you want to ask a question about money yeah so one of the things that i was thinking about when i read the rule book and when i first saw this game at gen con was money there's no money in the game uh because as, as a person who's not in the medical profession who's not a doctor i approach healthcare from like a purely patient perspective and so like the first thing i'm always thinking about with the patient perspective is am i covered for this what is the insurance cost going to pose to me when i need this treatment or if it's my relative or somebody who i'm responsible for like a child or a parent right when they receive the kind of intensive care you would need here is the hospital subsidizing that care through other units or are they getting, just getting the care and intervene as long as the relative consents and then there's a bill later that has to be paid? How does that whole system, and maybe there are pager alerts about this that we didn't get through very far that deck, uh, how does that all work? Uh, we're currently both doing fel uh, well. We both did fellowship. I am currently doing it. He did it at a at, you know at Boston Medical Center, which is a safety net hospital. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. um, that there are different you know like slightly different flavors in like how uh the sort of uh monetary side of hospitalizations are handled at bmc but for the most part if you come in and have like absolutely no insurance my my understanding is that the hospital just eats the cost of that and oh. so it doesn't it doesn't really cost people at all anything if you have bmc insurance i believe that you know i think the standard insurance will apply like you know did your deductible get met mm -hmm. that sort of thing and i and, i mean they probably get sent a bill later like to be mm -hmm. quite honest but i'm not really sure how that works because for the most part especially as trainees we're like largely um insulated from from mm. that i don't think that um, they, they yeah they don't i mean it, it comes out a little bit especially now like as we get closer and closer to like being like you know independent physicians like you know it'll 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 come through a little bit like they'll mention certain things mm -hmm. to us but it's all in a very abstract sort of way it'd be like oh like you know, ICU beds are expensive. We should try and get them out as soon as possible. It's like, oh, this treatment actually the pharmacy doesn't want us to give because, like, you know, it costs. You know, it's it's mm. more expensive that sort of thing. But in, in a sense of like 
oh this this day in the icu has cost x number of dollars and they and this will it'll cost them this much after insurance we're actually not a part of that specifically because you know they want us during our training to focus on learning medicine and learning uh you know patient care rather than worrying about like administrative tasks and mm -hmm. so for the most part that that is largely farmed out to like administrators mm -hmm. and um uh, you know more senior attendings and so it's like I, i'm actually not uh, quite privy to that <laughs> so, and, but at boston medical center mm -hmm you operate as a safety net hospital? You say, can mm -hmm. you explain what that means? Safety net hospital meaning uh, anyone who walks through that door, regardless of ability to pay, gets medical treatment. Oh, okay. Yep. And the hospital just sort of covers the mm -hmm. expense out of yeah. its annual budget. It's sort of built, that's built into its business model, so to speak. I think so, yeah. Okay. It has to do with the payer mix of like mm. all the patients who come in the hospital's doors. Yeah. What kind of insurance do they have or not have? So it this is, this is a, a huge topic, but... Um, BMC sees predominantly, like many of the patients have Medicaid, so the state insurance plan for people of, with need. Um, and so Medicaid has its own own rules on how it pays for all these things. And then there's other patients who truly have no insurance who come in, uh, maybe they're uh, for whatever reason. So um, in those cases, BMC is truly eating the cost. And in the meanwhile, finding a way, any hospital is going to find a way to get them some kind of insurance to pay mm -hmm. some of it. Mm -hmm. um, being a safety net hospital, it's, technically every hospital say we'll care for anyone who comes through our doors. There's um, federal legislation that yeah. requires that, but that's for emergency care. Right. And, and you know, um, hospitalized care, acute care, all that stuff like fits in under that to a degree. But BMC, like the, these patients, all end up in certain places, hmm. and and the safety net hospital is sort of um, where like that's that's our mission, right? So that's that's I, I think you're at least. The initial response we have to this question is is an interesting one because, in a it, you don't really know, right? There, it's a it's a multifaceted system, right? Mm -hmm. And there mm -hmm. there's it's compartmentalized, and there's some silos. Maybe they're intentional in some cases. Maybe they're not. Um, and the kind of question I have, and especially in the context of this game. Right, that does not talk about money a lot. Maybe it does again in the I page rulers. Yeah, but well, safety net hospital. That phrase safety came net up once or twice. But, yeah. um, you should ask that question, but I should. I can say a little bit more about the money. Um, the hospital care is is essentially bundled. So when you're in the emergency room, it counts as outpatient care, and every little thing that gets done there is going to be billed to you as outpatient care. Mm -hmm. You got this echocardiogram. Mm -hmm. You got yeah, this. Right. This this person saw you all that. Once you're in the hospital, it starts to get bundled, and you will meet whatever if you have commercial insurance or whatever. You will meet. That deductible pretty quickly because ICU care is just very expensive yeah, day to right. day, but it it isn't the same kind of thing. Like there is no one I think has the thought in in hospitals in America of should I do this procedure or that procedure because this one costs a lot more. That does that kind of thinking really doesn't exist in the ICU because all of these things right. are like you know. Whereas if you get that CAT scan outpatient, you're going to yeah. be paying for yeah. it. If yeah, you yeah, get yeah. the CAT scan inpatient, it's all kind of bundled together mm -hmm. as ICU care. So this is a, a fairly accurate reflection of what the doctor would experience right. in, in oh, the yeah. in the space. Right? There's no money in this game. Doctors don't aren't being asked to think about that. Right. The patient lot. will get a bill later, but it, again, like that's also technically like it's sort of like after the game, right? It's, right. it's always mm -hmm. after. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you feel like that should be part of the, the prognosis? I think if you ask me and Brandon, you can, this is where again, like, like a people's opinions will weigh in here. But I, I mean, I think ICU care should be, um, uh, it shouldn't be a privilege. The other big question we had, even before we played this game, is the realization of the cooperative elements of it. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. We've just made a bunch of comments about it feeling a lot like some games where there's both cooperative elements and individual decision-making, which for me is an ideal 
set up for yeah. a cooperative game. And um, yeah, dis- player disclosure, Jordan right. pref- does not prefer cooperative games. <laughs> That's right. I'm not, I'm not a big cooperative <laughs> game player. But I love, I love it when it's sort of mixed. And there is a mix here of cooperation, me looking around the table, deciding on what, uh, you know, what cards I should play. Um, I could totally ignore all of your problems and mm-hmm. just deal with my own. Um, that tension between like working autonomously and working as a group is that something you all experience in the ICU? Yeah, I think I do actually. Yeah, I it's specifically because there you'll see that like I mean if if you ever get to be in a hospital, I think you'll you'll see a lot of that kind of tension come out. We t- we we will advocate very strongly for, you know, the patients that are under our care to get certain things. I think one of the the um the easiest ways you see this actually is um when it comes to like imaging studies and so it's like very very frequently um uh, you know, especially at BMC, actually, is uh, there's often long lines right. uh, you for, know, the, just CAT for the CAT machine. scanner yeah. or the MRI. Mm. And it's simply because each study takes a specific n- amount of time. Um, uh, and the reasons that, you know, we need to get CAT scans can be as innocuous as just like, not innocuous, but it can be for something like a fracture or it can be for something like a head bleed, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing, the head bleed would obviously take precedence. And then everything in between is kind of like, it's up to like the radiologist to actually triage the, the priority oh. of the scans. And so if, but if we think that we will almost always think that our own reason for getting the scan is going to come, is going to be more important than what other people are getting it for. Right. So very sure. often we are, we're going to be calling down a schedule and saying like, Hey, I get that, you know, there's 27 people in line for the scanner, but here's why I think mine should be numbered. <laughs> and 11, everyone 11, put them yeah. in a stat. Yeah, exactly. Ours is more stat. Ours is more we have, urgent. We should have invited a radiologist to play with us. <laughs> <laughs> this idea of. Uh, pers- one person advocating really strongly for a certain strategy around patient, around multiple patients. Quarterbacking. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Quarterbacking in gaming, right? This is the idea that I was just going to go on. Is there a parallel here between um, like somebody playing the game badly, right? You know, are like, and a doctor who may not be advocating strongly enough for their own patient and losing track of something going on in this. Uh, so when we designed this, you know, I also don't actually love cooperative games. And I was keeping that in mind when I was playing this. There's some cooperative games I love, but they all, they fall prey to some of these things. Either it's the quarterbacking or it's everyone's just doing their puzzle and not really interacting. Mm. And I didn't, I, I hope that those two, neither of those really were felt. And the, the way that we tried to design that was for, for, um, for the second part of everyone's playing their own puzzle, well, you really have to put your attention on the sickest patient. And you kind of learn that quickly. Like, you'll just lose otherwise, and then you'll be like, oh my gosh, like, how could we have lost? We have to play again, we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other side, the quarterbacking, quarterbacking requires total transparency of the data and enough data that someone can digest and manage like step to step right away. It's, I think it's too hard to do that because everyone's got their cards. And even if you tried to play, like, let's all put our cards out and say, like, let's look at the big picture and try to figure out the optimal moves here. It, first of all, like, is, you can't because the wrench in the works comes after at, at every turn. This too. Right. And the complications and pages. So it's, so I think that and the amount of data is just a, like, 
it's just a little too much to say, like you could play with someone who's truly annoying, who's like, show everyone show me all your cards and I'll tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. But that at that level of quarterbacking, like I kind of quarterback too when I'm playing a game where it's like like um I play like Forbidden Forbidden Desert with my with mm. my kids. And uh, I mean there I don't quarterback with them. But um I think you it's actually very difficult to do it here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's for sure. Well the complications are really even more so than the pager. The pager is like this mutually disdained object of disruption <laughs> that like everyone has to deal with every turn. The complications though is like more of a calculated risk and so ultimately the doctor who's responsible for that patient has to decide whether or not they're going to take that risk or not even if this person is pushing really hard to hey if you give me your BPAP this turn uh, I'll help you out you know but it's like well I'll give you three sheep for it yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> even if uh, even if somebody else is offering it you'd be yeah. like no keep that I, away from my patient yeah, yeah I don't yeah. want to risk another complication I've right. got four uh, right. so even though that will help me right now I can't take a fifth here on Malcolm yeah that's a really interesting tension that's between the, the question I was going to ask was more about like the the autonomous parts of the game. So the parts of the game that are game, not people. And it points outward to the other avenues of um, like tension around work in the hospital. So not just between doctors, but between doctors and nurses, between doctors and other specialists from other divisions. And it's mostly a positive tension. It's a detention about like, well, where, who's, who are we going to consult with? Right. It's like what, we have so much time. We have so many, exper- mm-hmm. so much experience. Who can we get to help? But what I thought was cool about it is when I was, and so as I said way before, is like how important that was to you designing the game to draw out the centrality of like consultation and collaboration between specialists and intensivists, between staff and intensivists. I mean, we had an interesting conversation about RTs, which I thought was was fascinating. Right? I didn't know about that. Right. Um, how important is that to you for like players to take away from the game? Well, I mean, I think when people think ICU, they think doctor, maybe mm-hmm. then and nurse probably, but that's not how it works. Like all these other people play critical roles, mm-hmm. but you know, in the same way that it's abstracted, right? Because if a patient needs a certain, if a patient needs a neurologist, it doesn't matter if you don't have the experience The neurologist will, will mm-hmm. come and help. In fact, they come because you don't have the right. experience, right? But that's where we had to make it, make the game mechanics work a little, because otherwise it would just be like, I'm Honestly, the, the, the reason that we've designed the ICU as such a way that it's kind of like, what do I want? I get it now. Who, which doctor do I want? They're going to come and help me. Mm-hmm. Like, this is mm-hmm. the ICU, mm-hmm. right? People come to us when we need them. But that doesn't work in the game. I need a central yep. line. Like, someone will go and put it in. I'll put, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, instead, like, we couldn't have it be a menu of just, like, here's all these things. Take whatever you right. want for your patient. So we had to have an element of randomness, which is, like, which specialists come up. And then we had to have the tension of, like, you can only have so many of them. Um, and the benefit of doing that is that they really are like superheroes that come in. And it, you'll feel it. Like, if you had the emergency medicine and mm-hmm. nephrologist, and then you look at that card that has both those icons, that card is so powerful because these mm-hmm. two specialists are in play. And that, like, so we, you know, and like I said earlier, we're generalists, right? Mm-hmm. We, right. we do everything and we bring, we work with everyone. So that is really important to me. But the game, like, we had to abstract it out like yeah, that. Yeah, sure. Well, this was awesome. Yeah, this was great. I loved the conversation around this game. Mm-hmm. I loved the game itself. Um, I'm grateful for your profession. Yeah, for sure. And I'm grateful for your game design. I think this is a really cool game, uh, and I think a lot of people will learn a lot about what it's like to practice intensive medicine if they play it. Thanks again for your time. Uh, I know you're busy doing important things, saving lives and stuff like that. Yeah, so stop taking a break to play yeah. a game with us and talk about it is yes. hugely yeah, important. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate Absolutely. You. Awesome. Thanks Thank for you dedicating so much for six hours of your shift. To your shift. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
So we're here after the play session with Brandon and Lakshman. Holy cow. That was awesome. Yeah. What, so many uh, great things to say about this. What an this. incredible experience in terms of like a learning experience for me and a playing experience as a gamer. So, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, lot of things going on. I, let's dive in. Yeah. We, let's talk about our takeaways. I have a lot of takeaways. I tried to zero in on one per category yeah, here. I know. But we, gotta, we, like, we might ramble for a bit. Like, this might be like an hour long takeaway session because that was a really rich conversation and interaction it was. with those folks. It was. And, you know, I think in the spirit of that, we could say a lot more than we're not going to say. Yeah. Uh, play the yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. If you're interested in yeah. a subject, mm-hmm. play the game for sure. Yeah. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna touch on a few things. Yeah. So, so I'll start. Mm-hmm. My meaningful moment. I there were there were many, which speaks I think to the strength of the design from a sure. sub- subject matter perspective. But one of the things that I decided to talk about was what I experienced as a player as what I'm calling like acting as a unit. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the tension, and we discussed this at length with the guests, so I won't rehash all of those comments, mm-hmm. but the tension between the desire and sometimes the real need, because if you don't, you will lose the game, to pool your collective resources to ensure that one very mm-hmm. sick patient on the unit gets the care that they need, because if any patient blue codes and you can't satisfy the code, you lose immediately. Right. Right. So that tension bet- between having to avoid that ultimate scenario and the also no sort of no less real and no less pressing responsibility that I felt to lobby for the prioritization of resources and attention towards the patient that had been placed within my care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one particular moment where this crystallized for me when I had a treatment therapy called BPAP. Mm-hmm. And the patient next to me, it was next in line for the therapy phase, was suffering some really intense respiratory outcomes. Mm-hmm. And my patient was sort of keeping those respiratory outcomes tamped down but if I gave away the B, if I used the BPAP on myself, they would definitely be alleviated on the next couple of turns for like a good while. Mm-hmm. But if I spent it over there and gave it to my colleague and they use it on their patient, I basically am saving their patient's life, right? Which could be a much worse situation for the unit. Mm-hmm. And if somebody dies on the unit, we lose, right? That was a really important moment for me that crystallized something that felt, given the conversation we have with both doctors, felt like a really real part of that job. Yeah, there were, yeah. it was good because in that moment you all joked about it a little bit mm-hmm. on just a gameplay level. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I caught that too because mm-hmm. it was between you and, and Brandon, and you were like going back and forth between like, uh, I'm gonna, definitely going to give you this because I don't need it. And then something happened to your patient. You're like, oh, well, actually, I do need it yeah, now. Yeah. And and you had to kind of juggle that. But do I still need it as much as you do? Yeah. Or do you maybe? And, you know, what was also interesting is he immediately was advocating for his patient mm-hmm. in a way that I wasn't. I was still thinking more about, like, well, what are my co-op pu- puzzle priorities mm-hmm. for this game so we don't lose? And he only had eyes for his chart. And he was like, oh, you have a BPAP? Mm-hmm. Let me have it. Yeah, in that <laughs> sense, I'm you not a doctor, I mean? and I'm very much so a gamer playing yeah. this. and. Yeah. I did not do enough advocacy for mm. my patient. Right? I didn't have any therapy on mine at the end of the game. Yeah, that was crazy. You, you know? Only the one thing that I gave you all the were very like last turn. loaded up with yeah. stuff, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. like sitting there, like uh, yeah, 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 yeah. my patient was doing okay, but not right. soon but as not great. Not Nobody was doing great. We were yeah. in the ICU. Yeah, uh, Lodgman kept going like yours is going to have some problems if you don't do some more advocacy <laughs> for yours. So um, yeah, so that was really interesting. That's I mean, great. There are many others, but what was what was the one you picked to talk about? So the. Decision to forgo certain treatments, mm-hmm. right? That moment of being like, cool, this card is going to do something good for my patient, mm. but it will also do maybe something bad. That bad is completely unknown. Yes. 
right? Uh, that it, there's if that bad is going to be a, from a deck of cards. Yep. And it could be something really bad that totally screws up my patient even worse than it was before. Mm-hmm. Or um, it could be something okay, or it could be something that I that the, the game just does not affect me yeah. at all. Um, and it made me think very deeply about that decision-making process for doctors of all kinds, particularly ICU doctors, mm-hmm. ER doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, but all physicians, I think, do that to some degree, right? Think about, okay, this could be worth trying. Yeah. The potential drawbacks here are either very great or they're, or they're very mm-hmm. mild. Mm-hmm. So if, mm-hmm. if there's almost no cause for concern, we're going to do it, right? Yeah, right. And there were a few cards like that, too. There were a few for cards sure. that's like, I don't have to think about this steroids. one. Steroids. Right. For instance, the way that they were talking about steroids, I thought right. was endlessly sort of like funny and charming, but also really illuminating because mm-hmm. Brandon's joke about it was, oh, it works 100% of the time, 50% of the time. Right. And it's like, that's great. So it's like, yeah. it's going to solve whatever. If you don't know what's wrong and you just want to flip a coin, give them some steroids. It's going to solve, it's gonna solve right? some problems yeah. for sure, but maybe might, not there others. might cause so some compli- yeah. complications but like if you just don't know what's happening and they need some intense care about s- steroids might be a good option right. right and then you'll buy yourself some time at least and maybe they'll to think about it. things yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of that going on in the game i thought was really cool yeah, yeah. and it and it was interesting to watch physicians debating mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Uh, for me it was more of just a mechanical thing like oh well i don't know maybe that deck of cards has a lot of good things maybe it has right. a lot of bad things right. i don't really know i'm, I'm gonna roll the dice sounds fun mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was thinking about it very much so from like a medical lens of being like yeah. you know like tr- and trying to analyze it that way which yeah. which was great and i i think um really highlighted that sort of like uh you know responsibility that the the physician has on an individual mm-hmm, level mm-hmm. uh very much so sort of complementary to what you were saying about the sort of col- collaborative mm-hmm. like you know yeah. stuff is working as a unit um but on an individual level ultimately it boils down to a person making a decision mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. certainly in consultation with others but it, you know having to make that call it's a lot of that's a weight yes absolutely wow absolutely wow yeah um yeah Big time. Uh, so my unexpected expertise. <clears throat> other meaningful moments, just honor, oh, yeah, brief honor rolls, because there are a few other mentions. Yeah, yeah. So we were just kind of talking about another one, but another mm-hmm. way of talking about it or framing it is just like the accumulating and accelerating complications. I sure. thought the game yeah. like modeled that super well. I'll say more about that later. So it's Snowballing. Super, yeah. yeah. The other one that I loved, which totally, maybe it's a segue because it was kind of an unexpected thing, but it's not really expertise. It's more about the game, mm-hmm. was the pager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That became right. such a deeply meaningful little mechanic yeah, in yeah. the game that modeled something that as Brandon pointed out, like, Oh, I love the way that you ate. We were able to make that like an object of mutual disdain for it's everyone. It's like an at the icon table. of doctors. Or yeah, something. Just, it was yeah. just like, Oh, we hate it. And it's like, yeah. we, you and I hated it for totally different reasons than the professionals. Mm-hmm. But the game gave us valid reasons to like absolutely dread and hate right. the pager. Yeah, that was so good. I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. And I also liked the pager graphic. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, so it looked like a pager. Yeah. Uh, so unexpected expertise. Unexpected expertise, yeah. So this uh, t- it requires me to explain a little bit uh, about the I- idea of the goals care track. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, the goals care track being this track that was kind of constantly uh adjusting based on how sick the patient was and as goals of care yeah, right goals of care uh and as that track as the patient became more sick the track could go up more quickly um the the track's presumably always going up the longer they're in the icu 
the 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 more likely it is you're going to be having a conversation with the patient, maybe the patient's mm-hmm. family, cared loved ones, whatever it may be, um, about like you know maybe we should take you out of here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you're not going to get better here, right? Um, you know, or in the hospital, where where do you want to go? What's yeah. next, yeah. right? And that is an unbelievably, in my mind, emotional conversation to yes, have with. Absolutely. I can't even with imagine. Anybody, mm-hmm. uh, let alone somebody that you've been caring for for so yeah. long, right? Yeah. And um, presumably getting to know, mm-hmm. you know, and all that kind of stuff. And that was just something that I, I guess it was a sort of realization as much as anything of just like, wow, these doctors, they have expertise in that too. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. how to deal with people, and um, I'm guessing that some of that is trainable. Sure. Right. Yeah. But I'm guessing all some of that also, or maybe even a large part of that, comes a little more naturally to some types of doctors than others. Yes, I right? would imagine that's a fair statement. Yeah. And uh, I would guess that many of the ICU doctors are identified uh, as you know, you know, you can have these kinds of conversations, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you should consider this type of medicine. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. you should consider this other type of medicine, mm-hmm. right? So that probably comes into the sort of assessment of one's own path, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm an, I can do these conversations. I wouldn't ever say that those types of conversations are maybe yeah. enjoyable, but that, you know, I it, no, it, I find it like yeah. an important part of my job that I'm getting yeah. something out of. And they they sort of expressed that sentiment, right? It wasn't about like taking joy or pleasure in it, but there is a, a you can you have a profound impact on how one of the worst experiences someone deals with mm-hmm. plays out. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be bad. You have a, you have a position and a role to play to help inform and shape that experience and to make it mm-hmm. as painless, you know, relatively speaking, or as comfortable as possible right. to make sure that people are making sound decisions for themselves and their loved ones. And that's, that's a really big responsibility. Yeah. There's this yeah. temptation too to like see doctors as, like machines, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. they're just doing the best thing because it's obviously the best thing. Right. And they're just going to do that over and over and over right. and over again. Western yeah. doctors, right. Are like, that, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Um, so far from my impression of these two people that we <laughs> absolutely, had, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Yeah, they yeah. are, they are definitely, uh, you know, bundles of human emotion. Mm-hmm. And that's how, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the thing to be, I think, cherished as a result of, yeah. um, me playing this game. Totally. With these people. Totally. Um, my unexpected expertise is, is kind of similar, but it's I, I was thinking about it in slightly different terms. So I was thinking about the idea just generally of palliative care in the ICU, which I hadn't really considered, right, mm-hmm. going in. I was thinking it was just like intervention, 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 keep them alive, right? Mm-hmm. And the unexpected expertise was not just the fact of that the game has that built in as like a victory condition or a key component of the engine that you're working through, but the insight we got from both of them through their conversation about this topic regarding like the shifting philosophies within the practice and training of intensive Mm -hmm. medicine Mm -hmm. over the last few decades historically, right? And of course, right, when you hear it, oh, of course things have changed and ideas shift and people have different schools of of thought, you know, blah, blah, blah. But you just don't think about it with the ICU because as you were saying, with the ER or the ICU, you tend to think of these places as like black and white spaces where like there's life, there's death, there's intervention, there's no, you mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. in fact, there's like a whole philosophy of gray that goes into how we shape and make the best black and white decision we can, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting to hear from them about the big 
shift that they perceive, at least in their own reading, their own training uh, over the last few decades regarding having sort of like open conversations with patients and their families who are experiencing serious and life-threatening illness about the actual goals of care. Mm -hmm. Like what is the outcome that we're shooting for? There are some other, you know, unexpected nuggets in there that we could touch on as well because that's a little bit samesy with yours. Um, The whole notion of like safety net hospitals Mm -hmm. was something that I was not aware of before really. I mean, I may have heard the phrase, but I did certainly didn't know how it worked and the way in which like certain levels of hospitalization are bundled in their cost Mm -hmm. and billing and then they get subsidized. Uh, If if that hospital is a safety net hospital, they just get covered and they will get paid for. That's something that I think, I I wish I had actually asked them a follow-up question about Mm. it. I mean, I'll Wikipedia it later or whatever, right? Like what is the, what is the, prominence of, of institutions like these. In I the think United it probably varies state by state. Yeah. I would imagine Massachusetts, Massachusetts has more, more of them. I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. yeah. I'd guess other um, states have less, but that's a total guess. That that is total conjecture. Yeah. Um, he did mention that there was a federal mandate. Yeah. So over covering some things. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if that's, you know, I, um, I don't know how that works. Yeah. But that was all interesting to sort of like unearth mm-hmm. and sort of think about, but the other sort of like more, the, that was like just them being adjacent, almost letting us know how the basics of this work. The other more like the kernel of unexpected expertise is like, well, doctors aren't really, that's not a part of our training or our practice. And right. also like for very good reason. Right. Right. It's like, and I thought that was interesting to hear about. We're like, isolated well, from we certain things. We have a lot of things that we have to deal with and think about. And actually that whole area of the hospital is siloed and we don't confront uh, those decisions or that process. We just think about the patient, their care, the outcomes, and like the goals of the care that they themselves and their family are pursuing yeah. and things like that. So those are two uh, I'll add a, two another, another yeah. little one. It's actually a big one in my heart right sure. now, but it's not. Uh, it's a little one in terms of the game itself. Mm. Uh, it's a big one in terms of the the fact that the game exists, yeah. which was hearing from Lakshman just about his experience with COVID. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, in the ICU, uh, cause that, that candid expression mm-hmm. of, of, um, f- you know, exhaustion. Yeah. The struggles that he you know, faced, is, yeah. uh, was beautiful mm-hmm. and, um, still gives me a little goosebumps, yeah. uh, thinking about it. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly glad he's at a place where he could share that so and totally uh, appreciated it. And it was, um, something I just, didn't get necessarily from the game if we didn't play it with him, but uh, in that conversation, yeah. it's something that I think was quite yeah, astounding. No doubt. And, you know, that that crucible is what produced this game for everyone to be able to play and think yeah. about intensive medicine, I think is really, that's great. Yeah. So, all right. So the score, drum roll. Yeah, yeah. This is, Subject this is a good one. Score. So, we should, um, uh, three, two, one, on zero, we yeah. say. Uh huh. Uh-huh. All right. I'll do three, two, one this time. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one nine point five. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> we nailed it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, uh, we both said nine point five in case that was yeah, like <laughs> we nailed it. Um, cool. So, who do you, I can talk about this? Do you want to talk about this? Uh, I mean, go? it's just could. I mean, here's the question, yeah. really. How do we get it to a 10? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah. if it's possible. I don't know. I think the, the 10 is sort of the impossible score. Yeah. You'd just be living reality. Right. Like, yeah. I think when we, when we talked about B-Lives and gave it a 9.5, I mean, maybe that one, maybe I gave it a 9.5. You gave it a 9, maybe? I can't yeah. remember. But yeah. So this game, is sim- I felt, felt very similar to B-Lives insofar as like, even more so than B-Lives. Mm-hmm. B-Lives had the combat mechanic where you could have been doing something differently. Right. All of the mechanical abstractions in this game, the consultation with specialists, reliance on trained staff, 
other aspects of hospital business, such as billing and insurance, were left out, sure. But like as they relayed, that like doesn't really figure yeah. into their daily life on the unit. It's hard to imagine any of that stuff being about anything else in right. terms of most of those mechanical systems, right? Mm-hmm. Especially also the complications, the cascade of complica- complications, mm-hmm. the goals of care, the injuries, the doing the rounds, all of those things are like deeply specific to the experience of working in an yeah. ICU. And they can shape and inform the entire experience yeah. of gameplay. Yeah, the they added the little repertoire thing mm-hmm. in there, you know, mm-hmm. like as you beca- yeah. become yeah, a real, your, having your a rapport with your patients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, The idea of... Um, some conditions being ongoing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. some being like more acute, yeah, being yeah. more acute and, and, and all that stuff just like felt like every card had, had a tremendous amount of expertise mm-hmm. in, infused well, in it. And I really appreciated the explanations in yeah. fine print at the yeah, bottom totally. because you know, Brandon, yeah. Brandon was like, Oh, that's how this card works. That's really interesting. That's funny. Locked oh, That's cool. You know? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, what is the card first? I have right. to like figure out what's right. going on here. Yeah. Like, what is this complication? Uh, but that stuff's all there. Mm-hmm. And you know, as they both, as he sort of the designer admitted, and as the expert commented on like some of the abstractions take a little more liberty than others, right. especially in terms of like the nitty gritty of like pharmaceutical or pharmacology and things like that about like what has what effect mm-hmm. and you know but of course the game has to abstract uh, mm-hmm. to some extent right mm-hmm. it's not reality so there are some liberties that were taken there that's that, um, I mean that's what I I literally am like yeah. I may have given it a 10 except for the light amount of abstraction that yeah. occur but yeah Every game has light Faster. amounts of abstra- abstraction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all you can do is try to get as close to it without mm-hmm. making it unfun. Or have a, right? or even just like try and have an abstraction which captures something essential about the th- the real thing. Yes. And so that's another reason why I scored this so high. I think the way that Lakshman described it as like a reverse engine builder was really illuminating to me and actually speaks to the beautiful way that this game uses an abstraction, mm-hmm. engine building, and reverse engineering an engine mm-hmm. to capture something essential about, which I didn't think about until he put it that way, something essential about intensive medicine, as in many ways like a scientific project that tries to deconstruct the chaos engine of illness and disease that mortal biology and physiology of human beings is confronted with, yes. right? It's like you have this engine of chaos that's going to produce more and more complications. And every time you intervene, there's a ripple effect of more and more complications. And so like y- your only job is to try and like push back against that engine and yeah. try and stop it. Yeah. The, the only thing I'll add to all this, which, cause I agree with everything you've just said and you've said it very well. So I won't even try to rephrase it in any mm. way. The only thing I'll add that actually I was thinking nine and then I was like, nope, it's going up to 9.5 <laughs> as a result of this. Um, it is a reflection of a particular perspective on all of this. Yeah, totally. You that know, was, that was really there's, great. there's these little political mm-hmm. conversations that we can have around mm-hmm. certain moments, cards, mm-hmm. actions, things like that, that, um, you know, some people could just like read that and be like, yeah, whatever. I'm not going to engage. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you could say like, wow. And and then there's a little text, like you want to know more, read more. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, that to me was Lakshman. Yeah, totally. Right. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. I, I, we've, we've known him now for like what we've, we've well, known him for a little longer. We've, we've known him for a few hours, <laughs> but we've, we've only ever interaction interacted <laughs> yeah. with him for a few hours. Yeah, 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 and yeah. I still feel like, wow, this is like a, like a, a portrait of his thinking about mm-hmm. this subject. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
all the pieces feel like they have a little flavor of that. Mm-hmm. And Amari too, right? For those sure. who have listened sure, to that sure. interview, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a little bit of yeah, that. Yeah, there's, there's well. more than just Lakshman behind this game, yeah. right? It's a collaborative And Vince, right, is, is yeah, collaborative. Yeah. This game is a great example of one of the reasons why we got into this podcast. Totally, so, totally. Yeah. Um, you know, again, this is not a review show. We're not giving it like, like this is the best game we've ever played. Um, I, 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 it just so happens that I did really enjoy the game as well, but um, it is... I found it, yeah, I mean, you know, to be quite honest, I, I found it an extremely enjoyable uh, experience, but it was not light. No. I was, I, it was It was intense. You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're dealing sure. with people and illness yeah. and like I was really confronted good yeah i was really confronted with uh, the weight the emotional and like um psychological weight of the work uh, mm-hmm. in a way that i've found rewarding like it was enjoyable as a, as a puzzle in a game and it really can you know help me, help me think about those things which so i don't mean this is a knock or anything but it just it wasn't like i was mm-hmm. like you know yeah it, and it's a, it's a good thing for the subject matter score yeah. exactly <laughs> exactly right yeah, yeah. well uh cool. it was a, it was a pleasure to play with you as always hey likewise man and this has been subject matter tabletop uh, yeah, I'm Steve Gossler. And I'm Jordan Tynes. Please uh, rate, review, and subscribe uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Yep. And if you have any suggestions for subject matter games that we could play or any subject matter experts you'd like us to play a game with, feel free to shoot us an email. See you around the table. See ya. See ya.